Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's health department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, Stephanie Desmond talks to Allison Barlow, who heads the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health. They discuss the reasons why tribal communities are at particularly high risk for developing COVID-19 and what is being done to keep them safe. Let's listen. I'm here today with Allison Barlow, who heads the Center for American Indian Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, I'd like to start actually with something simple. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the center and why you are so well poised to confront the coronavirus pandemic. Yes, thank you. So our Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health was founded in 1991, and it was founded on a decade of previous work that was led by Dr. Matthew Santosham to address the infectious diseases of largest priority to American Indian Alaska Native communities. So before our center even began, there had been a decade of really significant research with tribal communities to address pediatric infectious diseases and also to help prove um, oral rehydration solution as a standard of care for children when they have infectious diseases. So that was the foundation. Then when our center was founded in 1991, and that's when I joined, um, we were able to develop a memorandum of understanding with Indian Health Service. And Indian Health Service is the federal agency in charge of providing medical care to all federally recognized tribal communities. So our center has clipped along since that 1991 time to work in partnership with tribal communities to address the biggest health disparities and to really marry science and service as we do this. And I think that's what we really pride ourselves on is being able to bring together experts in any discipline from behavioral mental health, infectious diseases, training health communications, and build and create interventions with tribal communities that are culturally informed and that can be led by local communities to address their biggest health problems. So here we find ourselves in, in the moment of, of COVID-19 and we feel so well poised to help tribal communities and the Indian Health Service mount a response to what is a devastating problem right now in Indian country. Why is it such a devastating problem there? There are several complex factors. We know from history that tribes have been particularly at risk to respiratory infectious illness. We know this from the 1918 flu pandemic and from the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. Tribal communities were um, had much more severe illness and higher case mortality rates in both cases, sometimes four to five times higher than USL races because of you know poor health care and poverty over generations, now a greater proportion of Native people have underlying health conditions that make them more vulnerable to severe illness and death. So that's part one. 
But there are many other factors that contribute to that. If you think about people living in overcrowded multi-generational homes, so maybe eight people can be sleeping in one room from very little children to much older adults and elders. In addition, there are a good proportion of homes that have no running water. So this is a epidemic where the best advice is to keep washing your hands and they don't have places to wash their hands. The other issues are just the grinding poverty. So the idea of telling someone to shelter in home, which means losing their jobs, that's a much harder thing to tell people when they don't have enough money to keep their family well fed. So these uh, living situations, they make social distancing difficult. Yes, the housing situations make social distancing or physical distancing, as we know now, impossible. And um, as a result of that, we are trying to think of new ways to help people stay well in Indian country. And there have been some really interesting models that people are thinking about. One example is alternative care sites. So can there be places in tribal communities that can be converted where people who don't need hospitalization but are still sick can convalesce and keep the rest of their family members safe? So that's just one example. There's incredible frugal innovations that are going to come out of Indian country from, from this. It's interesting because, you know, you talk about how we need to keep our distance. That's the message. The message is wash your hands, but those messages won't work in tribal communities. So how do you adjust? What, what changes are you making? You're right. The standard messages won't work. Um, some examples of what we're trying to do now is with the shelter and home uh, mandates from really progressive tribal leaders is getting the food and water to those homes so they can stay safe during these times and not be infected. Those families who are infected to help them stay well and isolated and also have all the basic needs met, whether it's getting thermometers to those homes or household disinfectants. So creating care kits is something that our center is doing now that will travel home with patients from hospital to home to do the very best they can in home to keep other family members safe. I know testing is an issue everywhere. There's not enough testing uh, available. I assume that that is mirrored in these tribal communities as well. Absolutely, there is a shortage of testing. I think more and more we know that testing is going to be a big part of the public health response. So we know, for example, when essential workers can go back to the workforce. One particular issue in tribal communities is there already are too few healthcare providers per capita. So when healthcare providers get sick, and they probably will be more sick in tribal communities because there's such a shortage of PPE, so when those, that healthcare force gets sick, how can we ensure that they're well to go back to work? So these are the other things that we're thinking about. One other thing that our center is working on is designing hand washing stations that can be deployed in areas where homes don't have indoor plumbing. So we're actually making hand washing stations for about 15 to $20 a piece and being able to deliver them to locations that are most needy. What do they look like? Oh, they're, they're wooden stands that have um, running water that come out of things that look like um, a thermos that you would use on an athletic field. And then there's a catch bucket in the bottom, but it keeps the, the water that people are washing their hands in clean, and then it can drain into a bucket that can be dumped. Great. Is that something that you've used in the past, or this is a new innovation? 
It's something that's been used in the developing world quite a bit. The original manifestations that were in, as I understand, in Ghana, and they were called Veronica buckets. And so it's just an adaptation of those. I know that you also are working on things like contact tracings, trying to trace where the virus is spreading from. What are you learning in that effort? Sure. So we know that there has been a lot of household transmission of coronavirus in the native communities where we are working. And it's for all the reasons we've already discussed. There's overcrowding within the homes. We also know, just like in every other community, there are people who are asymptomatic. So those people who feel well are going out to do the errands for the family. And that's another way that the virus spreads. Uh, I assume that you've put in place communication networks um, in the past, and I'm sure you're using them now. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like? Yes, we're really excited that our health communications team is now fully embedded with the Indian Health Service health communications team. So they literally have a call every day at three o'clock, and they've built now about 15 different fact sheets for tribal communities. They have social media PSAs, they're developing radio scripts that will be read by elders in both the native languages and, and English. So we have a whole armament of health communication materials that can be pulled down from our website for free. And they're adaptable. So tribes can add their own language, they can add their logos, specific contact information so that, that they can really be adapted for those communities. I heard you say that the elders are reading it. Is that is that the key trusted person in these communities, is that what makes this unique? Yeah, I think what is so unique on so many levels is that in Native communities and societies that there's so much respect for elders. Elders are the teachers of the language, the traditions, the cultural practices. They hold a very important leadership role in their communities. So the idea that elders would be actually speaking about the important messages that will help keep the community safe is really important. But also we know that some elders who are living in very distant remote homes may not have a lot of information about the virus. So to be able to talk to them from another elder perspective over the radio, which is a popular form of communication in tribal communities could be very helpful. Are there concern about misinformation and distrust and rumors? Absolutely. I think in communities, again, that have limited access to the internet, um, social media is very popular, but there may not be good channels of communication and sort of vetting communication that comes over social media to ensure that the messages that are being circulated are accurate. So moving forward from this, how will things be different in these tribal communities? I think everywhere we're realizing that COVID-19 is revealing the cracks in our systems. And this could not be more clear in Indian country for all the reasons I've mentioned. Too small a, a healthcare workforce, too few medical resources and supplies. All of these things that are bubbling to the surface, I hope other Americans will get to understand as we see how COVID is affecting Indian communities. The other hope is that they'll be able to see the incredible resilience within tribal communities, the valiant battles that they're fighting by through creativity and through coming together over multiple generations to really mount battles of strength and courage. So I hope those two messages come through. The third thing is to realize that since 
Native communities sign treaties with our federal government, our federal government has a responsibility for providing optimal health care, housing, and education in perpetuity. And we have never lived up to those promises. We have so much to catch up on. So I hope those message are, messages are what come to the fore during this epidemic. Allison Barlow, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.